Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, a very warm welcome. And if you are a regular listener, then thank you. I am so aware of how many amazing podcasts are out there and how time poor we all are. So that you choose to listen to the Motherkind podcast makes me very happy and I am endlessly grateful. So thank you. My mission with this podcast is to inspire you to reconnect back to yourself, whatever that might look like for you. Perhaps it's reconnecting with your health and self-care. Maybe it's looking at your career and your relationships, or maybe how you talk to yourself. And finally, looking at being kinder to yourself. So I talk to therapists, doctors, naturopaths, coaches, career experts, and everything in between to help you become your happiest, healthiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. So this week I am chatting to a trailblazer, Dr Alexandra Sachs. She is a reproductive psychiatrist and you might not instantly know her name but I bet you've seen her TED talk which has now been seen over one and a half million times and it's called A New Way to Think About the Transition to Motherhood. And she is leading the global conversation on matrescence. Now, if you've listened to my episode with Dr. Oscar Serilach, you will know all about matrescence. That much like adolescence, when we go from becoming a child into adulthood, matrescence is the term used to describe the transition into motherhood. So Dr. Alex and I chat about her work, how she discovered this concept of matrescence, When I found out about this field of women's mental health or reproductive psychiatry, it was the perfect combination of my political interest in feminism and women's studies. And then it was kind of the thing I was really good at, which was listening and storytelling and helping people understand their stories. Why it's important and how we need to change the way we approach the transition to motherhood. Everyone who explores their motherhood identity and who goes through pregnancy and new motherhood is going through matrescence. I think this is true for women who adopt. I think this is true for stepmothers. But I do think every woman who's really exploring her identity in motherhood is going through her matrescence. It's an absolutely fascinating episode. I really enjoyed recording it. We actually recorded it on Thanksgiving, so I was especially grateful for Dr. Alex making up the time to talk to me. She also has a book coming out in April called What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions from Pregnancy to Motherhood. So if you enjoyed the episode, look out for that. I think you can pre-order it on Amazon. So I will pop that link in the show notes. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please do come over to Instagram, motherkind underscore Zoe, and tell me what you thought of the episode, or maybe leave a review on iTunes, or maybe even share it with your friends. I'm often told that these episodes go around lots of WhatsApp groups and mum groups, so please do share it. I really, really appreciate it, and I do think that this wisdom 
from the guests that I have on deserves to be heard far and wide. So please help me to do that. And here is the episode. So I am very excited this afternoon because I am talking to Dr. Alexandra Sachs. And if you haven't seen Alexandra's TED Talk, then I would really, really encourage you to go and look at it straight away after the podcast, which I think you will want to anyway. Alexandra, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I love your work. Oh, thank you. Well, it's the feeling is very, very mutual. So I first watched your TED Talk when it came out. It didn't have millions of views then like it does now. And I cried because what you had done for me, and I'm sure for millions of women, was put words to an experience that I couldn't put words to. And those words were matrescence and the push-pull that you talked about and the confusion that can sometimes come in with PND and that was my own personal experience I thought surely it's not meant to feel like this I must have PND and you talk about that and that's what we're going to talk about a lot in this podcast so to start I'm so moved by your being touched by the talk you know it's creating a TED talk is an intellectual exercise. So when I hear that it touches people's hearts and makes people smile or brings them to tears, it's just beyond my wildest dreams that something that started as an idea can be actually helping people in their own homes understand like how they're feeling or why they're feeling what they're feeling. So thank you for sharing that. It's very vulnerable and beautiful. Oh, thank you. I'm sure you'll never know the impact, the true impact of the work that you're doing. So maybe to start with, could you just explain who you are, your specialism and how you came then to give this seminal TED talk about the transition to motherhood? Absolutely. So my background is in psychiatry. I'm a medical doctor and I am trained to work with patients around depression, anxiety, and mental illness. And as I was going through my medical training, I was always really inspired by women's issues. I have a background in working in violence against women issues, and I'm a feminist. Who isn't? So I kind of had that women's oriented lens as I was working in the hospitals and with lots of different kind of settings, but around illness, right? And also around pregnancy and childbirth. It's one of the few places in the hospitals where patients come and work with doctors and they're not sick. So it's a really happy part of medical training. And I kind of gravitated there because I wanted to help women. And I just found it to be such a special, sacred medicine tribe kind of feeling. One of the few places in the hospital that still feels kind of like staying to that ancient art of being with people in sort of through their life's rituals, life's most important events. But, you know, I was never really so good with my hands. I I knew I wouldn't be a great OBGYN or a great surgeon. So when I found out about this field of women's mental health or reproductive psychiatry, it was the perfect combination of my political interest in feminism and women's studies and my love of being with women around pregnancy and postpartum 
And then it was kind of the thing I was really good at, which was listening and storytelling and helping people understand their stories. So I decided to be not the person who delivered babies, but the person who talked to women about (laughs) their experience around delivering babies and let the OBGYNs do their amazing magic with bringing humans into the world and keeping everybody safe. So I was in this field and reproductive psychiatry is organized around helping women who struggle with depression, what we normally call postpartum depression, helping people understand the hormonal shifts and how it may impact a depressive episode, and also helping women prepare for pregnancy when they have a history of depression. So anxiety and depression are really two of the most common medical conditions that women of reproductive age face. There are lots of possible reasons for that. Some of it is cultural, probably having to do with stress that women experience worldwide. But because also we know that the rates of depression and anxiety are higher in women than men worldwide. But there are many people these days who are planning a pregnancy or who are finding out they're pregnant and they're already on an antidepressant, something like a traditional one that we know of is Prozac or Zoloft. And so my field of reproductive psychiatry was to help people who didn't know what to do with their medicine when they were planning a pregnancy. Is it safe to stay on my Prozac now that I'm pregnant? That's what I was trained to do. And so women would come to me. I would help advise them. I would study the literature about medication safety in pregnancy, which is very complicated, right? Because we want to protect the woman's mental wellness and also make sure the baby is safe with any exposures. I could talk about that for days. Mm. Really, the story behind that is not black and white at all. I mean, as you might expect, mothers and babies do best when they're both healthy because the health of the mother and the baby are interconnected. And during pregnancy, it's a physical connection, right? We know that stress hormones, experiences like sleep deprivation, surges of stress hormones like cortisol, we know that those impact the actual physical experience of a baby during pregnancy. So it's not so simple that you should just go off your antidepressant when you're pregnant because we actually want to keep mothers psychiatrically healthy during pregnancy for the very health of the baby to have the healthiest growing environment. That's not to mention we also want to help women stay psychiatrically healthy during pregnancy for their own quality of life, right? And so that they can maintain the healthiest behaviors for themselves and take care of other children, get out of bed and exercise, make healthy eating choices, get to their prenatal appointments on time, avoid managing stress through cigarettes and alcohol. These are all the reasons why it's of the utmost important to make sure our mothers are psychiatrically healthy during pregnancy and after. And also because it really leads to healthier babies, both during pregnancy and after. So I was in that field and I love doing that type of work, but I was noticing kind of a funny pattern in the work I was doing. I was getting people signing up long waiting lists because there aren't that many reproductive psychiatrists in the world. And people signing up to see me and then finally getting in to see me after a long waiting list. And many of them actually did not have postpartum depression in the traditional way. These are the women who were not on antidepressants before pregnancy. These were the women who were not really having their emotional experience interfere with their daily life. They were still doing everything 
that they would do. Like from the outside, maybe they would even look like they were totally the same as usual in new motherhood. But they were coming to me saying, I don't feel the same inside. And I am worried that I might have postpartum depression. And for these women, you know, I did the diagnostic history. I did the clinical exam because, of course, anyone who does have postpartum depression needs to be caught and treated. And many, many people don't get the help they need in that area. So by no means am I suggesting that people didn't have postpartum depression. Some did. And they needed my help and medication and therapy and all that. But there was this whole group of women who, after one or two conversations, felt better. They felt a tremendous relief. And they really started to say exactly what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, which is, you're putting a name on what I'm feeling, and I didn't know what it was. I thought it was postpartum depression, but now I'm hearing that it's a normal adjustment. Now I'm hearing that when your hormones change, you don't feel like yourself. And that's what most new mothers experience, that when you're sleep deprived, you don't feel like yourself. When you have to choose between picking up the phone and talking to your best friend or lying in bed and talking to your husband or getting your baby and breastfeeding and tending to them, when you have to choose between three people you love, it's upsetting. It's not easy. And this is supposed to be the happiest time in your life, right? You've longed for a baby. You have a baby as many women's stories. And yet many of these women were feeling stressed. They were feeling the push and pull. And they were feeling their moods kind of different, kind of more intense. And their irritability a little bit different. And when I explained to them that this was part of the physical, hormonal, emotional, and identity transition of pregnancy and new motherhood, and it was not a mental illness. They let out a sigh of relief and they started to feel better because they understood that there was nothing to worry about, that it was okay that they weren't happy all the time, Mm. that that was perhaps even what was to be expected, that they were doing exactly what they needed to do, that this wasn't going to get worse, that this wasn't dangerous, that it was just kind of a wide range of feelings and experiences around new motherhood, which included happiness and included sadness and included worries and included feelings of inadequacy and ambivalence and guilt and exhaustion and all of these emotions that are absolutely normal in new motherhood and separate from postpartum depression. Yeah. Is that what you call matrescence? Is putting Exactly. A- exactly. So I had these conversations for a hundred hours with different women. And then I realized like, this is not well understood in the public discourse. These were highly educated. Many of these people were coming to see me and they said, well, what is this? Like, what is this called? And I didn't really have a name for it. Mm. I hadn't been taught this in my medical training because in medical training, doctors focus more on illness than they do on wellness than they do on development and life transitions. We really are trained to help people when they're sick. And so I wasn't trained to think about the normal development of motherhood. (laughs) So I had to go outside of medicine and I learned about this medical anthropologist whose name was Dana Raphael. And she published some paper in the 1970s where she described this concept of matrescence. And matrescence is a term that sounds like adolescence, which we know is the normal 
transition that teenagers go through. There are all sorts of feelings that come up when teenagers' bodies change, when their hormones change, when they can't control exactly what's going on in their lives as they're on all these different social situations and have all these different adult pressures on them. They've never done these things before. They're physically, hormonally, and emotionally stressed. And that's called being a teenager. That's called adolescence. That's not called depression, right? So matrescence is like adolescence, but for mothers. It's the hormone, body, and emotional transition to motherhood. And it involves all of these ups and downs that we understand are perfectly natural and normal in teenagers. They're very similar for new mothers. So when I came across this language, I knew that I needed to start doing some public health education. I had this sense, it was like a light bulb went off. This helps me understand this word. You know, we say like, if you can name it, maybe you can tame it. And (laughs) this word kind of like, it was like a hug. It was like wrapping arms around this huge, messy, big idea in one word. And it contained the idea and it made me breathe a sigh of relief because it made me feel more in control and able to educate mothers about what they were feeling. And I saw that so many women like you just felt an incredible recognition and a sigh of relief once they heard this name. And that's when I reached out to the TED community and they were so supportive of my work and really sponsored me to give this talk, this talk saying, what is matrescence? There's a name for this. There's a name for these feelings. It's called matrescence and it's different from postpartum depression. And we need to start speaking about it. And my theory, in addition to providing immediate comfort to people in talking about matrescence, is that I believe that the more we talk about matrescence, we may even be able to lower rates of postpartum depression. Because in the women who I've worked with who have postpartum depression, again, many of them are in the category I was describing before. It's a biologic condition. They may have had depression before pregnancy. You know, they need support. There's effective treatment, but it's not being caused by one thing, of course. But I do think there's a group of women who, when they're going through matrescence, they worry that something's wrong with them because they don't know how natural and normal the ups and downs are. They feel ashamed that they're not happy all the time. They feel ashamed that it's not more natural to just give and give and give and honor this new child, this gift who's now entered their life at the center. And so they keep the feelings quiet. They tend to not talk about it with their peers. They tend to smile and say, you know, I've never felt better. And I personally, as a psychiatrist, believe, and studies do show, that when we keep our feelings a secret, when we pretend we're feeling one thing, but in fact we're feeling another, that that creates emotional isolation. And that experience itself can actually cause depression in people who might not otherwise become depressed. So the more we can talk about matrescence, the more we can prevent postpartum depression, and the more that we can support all women, those who are going through matrescence, those who may also have postpartum depression, any woman who isn't feeling like she's experiencing bliss 24 seven in motherhood. There's so much I want to ask you about this. So the first thing I want to ask you is like adolescence, does every woman go through matrescence? 
I believe so. Again, you know, like adolescence, it's not an exact science. Like we think of some children starting adolescence at age 11, maybe others we think of at age 13, you know, it depends on when you go through puberty. It depends. Some young adults say they're still in their adolescence when they're in their 20s and others are already married and often supporting themselves and having children. So matricence is not an exact science, but I do believe in my understanding, that every new mother goes through matrescence, just like every teenager goes through adolescence. I even think that women who are thinking about motherhood are in a way beginning their matrescence even before they're pregnant. I think if you're wanting to be pregnant, if you're going through a fertility journey or planning a pregnancy, if you've had a miscarriage and you're longing for your next pregnancy, or if you're looking for a partner and you're thinking about your fertility and how you may approach parenthood, whether you're partnered or not, I think those ideas are actually the beginning of a matrescence journey. Mm-hmm. So I do think everyone who explores their motherhood identity and who goes through pregnancy and new motherhood is going through matrescence. I think this is true for women who adopt. I think this is true for stepmothers. You know, matrescence can be broadly defined, but I do think every woman who's really exploring her identity in motherhood is going through her matrescence, mm-hmm. just like every teenager is going through some version of adolescence. Yeah. And what I love so much about how you talk about this is you talk about adolescence and this growing in so many ways, physical, spiritual, emotional, hormonal. And, and one question that teenagers often ask themselves is, who am I now? This world feels so different. And that was definitely my experience of my matrescence was this everything's the same. And yet I feel so different. Who am I now? What does my work mean to me now? What about my marriage, my friendships, everything changed. And I feel like the work you're doing is so important because nobody talked to me about that. So it threw me. Exactly. And you can be both happy and totally disoriented at the same time. Of course, of course. You, you You can be thrilled that you have a new baby, but also just feel totally out of control because everything is new. And so that actually creates an experience of discomfort. It's like happy discomfort. (laughs) Um, And it kind of can shift throughout the course of a day. You know, I think it's normal for women to ask themselves through the course of a day, did I choose the right thing in becoming a mother? Yeah. Um, Did I choose the right partner? (laughs) Often. (laughs) Yeah. Did I choose the right partner? Did I choose the right plan with my job? Did I make the right choice with my budget? Did I make the right choice to become a mother? I think it's natural to think, I wish I could sleep in this morning. I wish I didn't have to get up and take care of my baby because I'm so tired. Did I make the right decision? Mm. I used to love sleeping in. That's a perfectly (laughs) natural thing to This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. 
thing. Who hasn't thought that? My gosh. And this is the push pull that you talk about. Can you explain that? I like to say that mothers are human and they're not robots. And that means that no matter how much they love their babies and how devoted they are to the work of motherhood, they can't turn off their own human needs. Mothers still need to go to the bathroom. Mothers still need to eat. Mothers still need to sleep. Mothers still need adult stimulation and support from their friends, from their partners. They need intellectual stimulation from reading a newspaper or looking online, walking around and engaging their senses in sunlight, looking at a beautiful flower shop. A human being needs sensory stimulation, needs emotional support and needs physical sustenance. And these things are not easy to come by when you're taking care of a newborn. (laughs) It's not easy to find any time to take care of yourself because of all the animals in evolutionary story of the animal kingdom, we give birth to very dependent offspring. Our babies need care. They need feeding every two hours. They can't walk, unlike little baby horses. They can't feed themselves unlike little baby ducks. And they need us to keep them alive and keep them well. So if you're taking care of this vulnerable creature, who, by the way, you also love, it's not just your evolutionary drive to keep them alive, it's your heart. It's too time consuming (laughs) to take care of your own self, not to mention taking care of your other relationships. So it creates what I describe as the push and pull. You're pulled into the baby because your evolutionary awareness is pulling you in. Your hormonal bond through oxytocin that's released around childbirth, that's released around breastfeeding, that's released around skin-to-skin touch, it pulls you in to take care of the baby. You know the baby needs you, and you want to be with the baby. But you also have this other part of you, this person who you described before, the person you were before the baby arrived, who remembers that you need to take care of yourself. And so those drives push you away from the baby. It pushes you away from the baby to think, I need to sleep. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to eat. I need to exercise. I need to see my friends. I need to return my emails. I need to get some fresh air. And so that push and pull, pulling towards the baby and pushing back towards your own needs and your own other relationships is very confusing for people because you really feel like you can't be in any one place at any one time. I hear women say, I'm not doing anything right. I'm not taking care of myself well, and I'm not taking care of my baby in a way that I feel is good enough. I'm not taking care of my relationship. I'm not taking care of my body. I'm not taking care of my friendship. New mothers feel like they can never do everything right. They are pushed and pulled between these two different forces. And I think Part of educating about matrescence is explaining to people that that push and pull is normal, mm-hmm. that that push and pull feels uncomfortable, it feels out of control, and that that's part of the matrescence transition, that you're not supposed to feel settled during the push and pull. You're supposed to experience that strain. It's like a human tug of war. And that's what it feels like. It's not supposed to feel easy. And so if you're feeling uncomfortable and you're feeling at times longing to be doing one thing when you're doing another. You're just going through your natural matrescence. There's nothing to be concerned about. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be elegant. It's matrescence. (laughs) (laughs) So with all this knowledge, I guess the first big important part of your work is that recognition and putting a word to this. The second part is, so what do we do about it? Is that the first thing then that I heard in what you were just describing, which is acceptance? 
I think acceptance from acceptance to, I guess I would even say celebration. You know, I run a motherhood unfiltered project is a hashtag motherhood unfiltered project on my Instagram, which is Alexandra Sachs MD, where I'm trying to get women on social media as an alternative to the pictures where everything is beautiful and glowing and, you know, perfectly where it needs to be in new motherhood to share stories and images that are more messy to celebrate that, to celebrate your matrescence and not be ashamed of it. You know, you're going through this amazing journey. You're doing this incredibly important job and you're going to sweat along the way and to celebrate that. Like we celebrate running a marathon. It's more than just acceptance. It's celebrating the hard work and everything that comes along with it in matrescence. It's encouraging women to talk to each other and support each other so that, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, my hope is that we kind of laugh when we think about how we used to keep all of these more complex experiences a secret, kind of like how in the 1950s, we laugh about how um, on TV shows, women and men slept in different beds. We wouldn't talk about people having sex in the 1950s. It was like Elvis Presley changed that. (laughs) I hope that the same is true. And the Rolling Stones for people in England. (laughs) I hope that this is true for matrescence. I hope that down the road we look back and we're like, why was it shameful to talk about that stuff? That's called being human. That's called normal. Let's celebrate it. Let's be alive together. Let's talk about it. And let's educate. I think that's my job as a physician is to be an educator. And so Beyond the Talk, I have a book coming out in April. It's a book that I co-authored with a colleague and friend. And it's a book called What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions in Pregnancy and New Motherhood. And it's really supposed to just walk women through from your first trimester, second and third trimester, from labor and delivery to the first three months of new motherhood, which we call the fourth trimester, and then the first year of motherhood, to walk women through everything they're going to expect to feel in their matrescence, all the hormonal changes, all the different types of conversations you may have with different people in your lives, your relationships at work, your relationships with your partner, your relationships with your friends, body image stuff, thinking about your sex life after you have a baby and to sort of maintain your romantic attachment, thinking about how to balance all these things, how to get through the push and pull. So it's really a how to get through your matrescence <laughs> and it's designed to educate and empower people and give them this guide, this Bible for their matrescence. And then at the end of the book, there's a whole chapter also that's about postpartum depression and how to know if you have that and how to treat it and all the issues around that, which is extremely important too. So yes, it's naming it, it's accepting it, it's celebrating it, and then education. That's really my mission. I can't wait for that book to come out. I think it's going to be such a <laughs> such an important book. For too long, I think, we have focused overly on birth. And, of course, that is just a, really a blip, isn't it, on the landscape of motherhood? Yes. I mean, it's so great that we have all these other books that tell people what to expect in terms of the changes in their bodies. But we just haven't added the psychological story in a way that's helpful for women. And I blame myself, the mental health professionals of the world. It's time for us to give women that story. We need to educate women about their matrescence and how to understand what you're going through 
in your hormones and in your emotion and in your identity, in addition to explaining the physical changes of pregnancy and childbirth. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's the same in America where you are, but in the UK, we are experiencing a a real seismic shift in that conversation of bringing things inside out, as I call them. The conversation now of mental well-being, of how we think and feel about ourselves in the world is really opening up. And I think I find that so exciting. And to be able yeah. to have that conversation with a motherhood lens as well is, is even more exciting to me because to me, there are no more important to people in society to look after our emotional health than mothers because yes, well, mothers, they are raising the next generation. Exactly. Absolutely. So if someone is nodding along to this, who has, mm-hmm. you know, let's say a three month old and they, they mm-hmm. might be breastfeeding, listening to us and mm-hmm. they are really identifying with the push pull and the tension and they've heard you say celebrate it but they're not quite there yet what Mm -hmm. else can someone do are there some practical things that we need to be doing absolutely well the first thing I would say is ask for help okay one of the first things people do when they aren't accepting their matrescence is they say to themselves I'm doing something wrong I should be better at this I should be enjoying myself So say to yourself, I'm in my matrescence. Everything is exactly where it needs to be. If I'm feeling tired, if I'm feeling like I need a break, if I'm feeling just like kind of not happy, not good, I need some help. I need someone to come in and take care of my baby. Evolution has made my baby to need care all the time, but it doesn't have to always be me doing that care. So who can I call? Can I ask my partner? Can I ask a family member? Can I ask another mom who maybe can take care of two babies at one time and we can swap up? What are community resources? What daycare is available? Do I have any resources to put aside for paid childcare for even just a couple hours a week? Who can I ask for help so that I can just stop and tend to my own needs? Do I need to get some more rest? When was the last time I exercised? When was the last time I got a haircut? or went to the dentist, or even went back to my own OBGYN to deal with my own physical recovery from childbirth, which many women do not even deal with. They can barely walk after delivering a baby, and they are sitting there taking care of the baby, and they're not happy, and they don't even give themselves permission to go back to their own doctors to heal their own bodies, right? There's no other time where you'd have a surgery and then walk out of the hospital and be expected to start working the same day, except... After having a C-section and childbirth, you're literally working the same day you leave the hospital taking care of a baby, even though you just had surgery. So, you know, what do you need to do to take care of yourself? Can you ask for help? Who can help you for just a few hours? And I really think most of the time you're going to feel better just from a few hours away from childcare, taking care of yourself. And if it's a couple of days and you've gotten more help and you're not feeling better, that's when you should call your doctor. And that's where you should say, Hey, I need to find out if I do have postpartum depression, I'm doing more self-care and I'm not feeling better. So this might be something more than matrescence. Who can I talk to to get some more help? I think that's the first thing. Pretty practical. Mm, practical. I love that. For so many women, the discomfort and the push pull of matrescence is really at core sleep deprivation. When we don't get enough sleep, which hardly any new mother does because the baby needs feeds throughout the night, 
our brains don't feel good. We have more stress hormones. We have more irritability. We want to eat less healthfully. We don't enjoy things we would normally enjoy because we're tired. (laughs) So for many women, getting a few extra hours of sleep or a few good nights sleep, if your partner can help take care of the baby at night, if you can give the baby some pump bottles, if you can allow her some formula so that you don't have to wake up and do every feed. If you can get a few nights sleep, you may feel like a totally new person. I totally agree. I totally agree. It can feel like depression and anxiety being overtired, can't it? That was my experience. Absolutely. Anyone who's ever had jet lag, anyone who's ever been up all night knows that you don't feel well the next day. You simply don't. You don't feel well emotionally. It's just not the same as getting a good night's rest. So new mothers have that every night. (laughs) Unlike jet lag, they don't get a date to recover. And there's no end in sight. That's what I remember feeling the first time. Because I think with number two, it might be different because people know that it does end. But I remember feeling, I don't think this is ever going to end. And that, I felt despair. (laughs) I was so tired. It's true. That's where education comes in as well to say, this is probably going to be the most intense for you in the first three months, six months, first year of your baby's life, in terms of sleep, it will get easier. Yeah, yeah. But I think the other thing that really adds to the despair goes back to this thing that people say to themselves when they don't really understand what matrescence is. They feel despair because they don't know if it'll ever end, but they also feel despair because they say to themselves, I must be feeling this way because I'm selfish. I must be feeling this way because I'm weak. I must be feeling this way because I'm not cut out to be a good loving mother and so that's extremely despairing right to judge yourself for going through matrescence is one of the most hopeless places you could be because no one wants to feel like they're a bad mother no one no one so it's about believing and trusting that this is temporary and not punishing yourself for these feelings for the natural push to take care of yourself it's natural It's healthy. It's called self-preservation in addition to the pull to care for your baby. And your baby needs you, by the way, to take care of yourself for a couple of reasons. One, because it keeps you healthy for the long haul. (laughs) It keeps you around. Two, as children mature, they want their parents to give them breathing room. They want their parents to give them space. They don't want to feel like their parents are hovering and only living for them, it's a good model to show your children that you take care of your body, that you take care of your adult relationships. And it's a good model to also let your children, you know, when they're crawling, when they're playing, when they're teenagers having their own journey, it's a good model to show them, you know, I trust that you can go do your own thing, even for just a few moments, like a toddler crawling in a playpen when it's safe. I'm not worried about you. I'm going to give you a few moments to breathe and explore and play on your own. And I have my own thing going too. It's okay. It's okay that we're not one person. We're allowed to be two people. And in fact, that's what healthy motherhood and healthy parenting is. It's raising your child to be independent and solid and safe in the world separate from you. Yeah. So if you're going to raise a psychologically healthy person, you need to keep 
some separate sense of yourself and take care of your separate identity mm. too. I feel very passionately about this because my own mother talks about this very openly and has said that I can talk about it. I had a yeah. mum who looked after my brother and I spectacularly. All our needs were met, all our physical needs were met, but she did not look after herself at all, yeah. at yeah. all. And I saw the discrepancy in that and the confusion that I got yeah. this message that I was worth looking after, but she wasn't. And that is very confusing because, of course, the blueprint for me was when you become a mother, you don't look after yourself. So I had yeah. to work really hard to change that blueprint, to change that script, knowing, of course, that Jessie will operate from a different place because she's seen me model what it looks like to care for myself alongside her absolutely I'm so glad to hear that and it's modeling but it's also letting your children know that you're going to be fine when they're having other friendships when they're going off and on an adventure that they don't have to feel guilty that you're left alone and that you have nothing to do everyone's going to be okay as they build their own independent life which slowly bit by bit is what they'll do over the next 10 years you know and helping your children trust that you're going to be well that that's a good model but also that they don't have to feel worried about you they don't exactly for having their own interests in life exactly there's a fascinating model that can come up around children feeling responsible for their parents happiness because parents have given up their whole lives the moment they have children and and as you'll know and I know that's very damaging it's not the model as you say we want to show that our children are part of a wider whole of our lives that we have rich abundant full happy lives and our children are part of that not all of it yep and so that's part of the push and pull your child is pulling you towards them but when you're pushing away And setting some boundaries and limits, you're preserving your separate identity. You're saying, I'm not going to lose myself just because I'm taking care of you. And you may feel guilty about that early on. Your child may cry, you know, when you walk out the door and go to work or go to see a friend when they're, you know, with a safe other caretaker. But it's not really harming them. In a way, it's helping them because you're setting up this healthier model for the long term. Yeah, gosh, that's going to be so resonant and helpful for everyone listening, just hearing that. I know it will. So the last question, which I always ask, is the same question, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mums in the whole world, what would it be and why? Just kind of quickly, I would say I would like to give each one five hours more of sleep every night. (laughs) But I don't think this is like a magical gift. Kind it, of can it can be. <laughs> it can be. I, I mean, I would give everyone five magical hours of uninterrupted sleep. Oh, that would be Extra. good. But if it's like we're in reality, we're in the real, we have to obey the laws of the physical universe. I would give them the gift of learning how to talk to the negative voice in their head, the negative voice that is telling them that they're doing something wrong. The negative voice that is criticizing them and saying, you should feel better. I would have each mother learn how to say, I am enough. I am good enough, which is the concept that was derived by a British pediatrician, Donald Winnicott. I am a good enough mother. And that's all I need to be. And that's all my baby needs. That's more than enough. 
and I can feel proud and I can feel peaceful because I don't have to be perfect. In fact, it's not an option. Beautiful, beautiful. So everyone listening, I want you to just say right now, before you turn this podcast off out loud, wherever you are, (laughs) I am enough because that is profound and it's true. And it's deeply, deeply kind to ourselves, which of course is what Motherkind and the podcast is all about. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved talking to you and hopefully we will get to meet in person soon. Me too. And if you want to add this, I think just one other thing to say about good enough. You know, when you say I am enough, you also have to remind yourself that you are your baby's mother. And anyone who's had a mother knows that that person is magical. That person is everything you need. You need your mother, right? And there are many different versions of that, right? It doesn't mean that adoption or any of those other things are different. But a baby needs their mother. And if you're the mother and you're doing things your way, then you're not only enough, you're amazing. (laughs) You're everything. You're everything. Being a mother and being there. There's nothing like a hug from your mum. Is there regardless, often, you know, regardless of, yeah, that relationship as you get older gets trickier. There is still nothing like a hug from your mum. So that is, that is really important to remember when we are in our early stages of our matrescence. Doing enough is still like magical and amazing what you're doing for your baby. Remember what it felt like, you know, those moments of comfort you got from your own mother. It's getting enough is, you know, a world of joy. for your babies so be proud of being enough it's powerful and it's beautiful so that's it thank you for listening to the episode i hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on itunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do i feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.